0: Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Brett, Ed, Fran, Johnny, Matt and Paul helping you to build more muscle and to lose weight with a hint of banter and a dash of humour. Enjoy this week's episode. Well, welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast episode number 101. Who would have thought we'd made this far?
1: Yeah, i yeah, surprised we haven't been taken off the airways by iTunes or Spotify or <laughs> just in general. Just, what, because yeah. of p- pure boringness? Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> just wasting bandwidth.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I I actually think we had lots of value, Ed, actually.
1: Especially last week's episode. Uh, yeah. If you've not listened to that yet, it was an hour and 10, 15 minutes of just absolute waffle. Yeah. <laughs> so. if, if
0: you, Say if you've skipped ahead from the first 100 episodes and you've now gone straight to 101, we did a 100-episode a 100, oh, 100 award show special, the Triple Ns. So uh, that was interesting, yeah. Um, anyway, we're not going to um, waffle too much this week, are we, Ed? Because we have no. got a, a fabulous guest on the line. So rather than keeping waiting, we'll introduce him. So um, we have Joe O'Brien on so to talk uh well about a a topic or a subject that i'm extremely interested in um so i've been following joe for um a little while to be honest joe i don't know how long i think i've only been following you probably last six months or so um and i can't remember where how i came across you but um as soon as i kind of saw some of this content i think someone else shared it i can't remember who and i thought wow i've got to kind of um learn a bit more and see a bit more about what this guy's putting out and uh i've been kind of keenly following um since and thought right at some point i've really got to get you on the podcast and talk so um say hello and kind of tell us about yourself
2: well, thank you very much, uh, that's quite impressive that you've been listening or watching for six months because I've only been going for seven months. Is it? So, uh, ah, okay, yeah, yeah, well. It was uh, It was pretty new, yeah, it's pretty new to me, the whole um, Instagram thing and, and putting out this kind of information, but um, basically I've been running this Instagram page Head First Zero for the last um, seven months, I started in November, and it kind of came about because we see an awful lot in, I guess, Instagram at the moment, a lot on social media in general, um, there's these self-proclaimed wellness experts. They go around and they talk an awful lot about um, things that may or may not be backed in, in the research or or that kind of thing. So I think what I wanted to do in this space specifically was deliver something that was evidence-based and that was kind of had a depth of, of scientific research uh, behind it, or at least kind of practice-based evidence that um, I have from working with with you know practitioners psychologists that kind of thing so that was kind of the motivation for for starting this this project and what we're going to be talking about today is is binge eating specifically and the thing with binge eating is that it it was one of my most popular posts but um i think it's often a neglected kind of aspect of um of you know nutrition and even even exercise the psychology of exercise and adherence and those kind of things are often underplayed so um I think that's this kind of area is super interesting, and it's an area that hasn't really been touched on that much uh in terms of the subclinical groups so the people who don't identify with with having binge eating disorder necessarily but um yeah, basically, my page is all about putting out evidence based information um from somebody who's actually in the mental health field rather than like i said those self proclaimed people who who may or may not have have backing behind what they say so.
0: Yeah, sure. That's the interesting part for me. Um, I suppose I'm really keen on hearing what you have to say about it because, I mean, a lot of, uh, let's put it into some context, a lot of the people uh, that kind of speak to that are maybe newer within the fitness industry, as an example, might often ask questions like, Oh, well, where where should I start to learn about nutrition or any good nutrition courses? And you kind of see it a lot on Facebook and social media and stuff. And people start saying about all the different types of accreditations or um, degrees and type of stuff you can do. And actually, a lot of the time, I think you should really go and speak, in, or speak to someone about some type of psychology, um, CPD, or, or kind of um, education. Because a lot of the time, it's way more important than the fundamentals nutrition. Like we, Ed, we joke a lot, don't we, say that the fundamentals is so easy, hence kind of our mm. our kind of market or niche, really, in terms of being no-nonsense, you know, it's pretty simple, a lot of the basics, you know, eat whole foods, don't eat too much food, um, as the majority of your diet. It comes down to the adherence, as you say, and um, the psychology Yeah, I, of that. I,
2: I, I, th- I think for guys like you, and, and a lot of other people, um who are able to, for example, adhere to a diet quite well, it must be very difficult for those people to even realize that there are psychological barriers for some people. And it's, it's often a really neglected aspect because I see it myself and people who talk to me, even since I've put out this post that, uh, oh, I never thought about, you know, X, Y, and Z related to my eating behavior. I never thought my eating behavior would ever relate to, for example, psychology. And if there's one thing we know in psychology, it's that information doesn't necessarily predict behavior. So you can give people all the information you want nutritionally and what is or is not recommended for them, but it doesn't necessarily mean that um, that's gonna predict how how they act. So yeah, definitely, definitely an important an important aspect of, of any eating behavior or any health behavior, I guess.
1: We saw it the other day in one of our groups. Uh, I won't mention any names or anything. Um, but uh, somebody asked for some advice and straight away kind of in one of our private chats between the the coaches um people were obviously giving advice on like recipes and stuff like they had asked for and straight away both me and brett both said um there's underlying issues here and you could see it just straight away from the post um so we you know we, we sort of both said um i think we both wrote it pretty much at the set wrote it pretty much at the same time but we both exactly said exactly the same thing and it it came down to there was a, a relationship with food issue um and not so much the fact that they were struggling for Brett or whatever it was so um yeah and uh, so like you say you know i think it, it underpins and underlies so much and with so many issues that people have and it's not necessarily just because they like cake it's you know there's so much more to it yeah 100 um, before it, we oh no, go
2: say, on, just
1: before we uh before we kind of go down the the whole rabbit hole of the uh, the topic uh, that we want to talk about today um so you say about uh, your background and such what what is your background Um, How did you kind of get into the clinical side of things?
2: um, I originally did my undergraduate in psychology in Dublin. Uh, I moved to uh, Bath and I did a master's in health psychology, which is essentially the relationship between your mind and your body. um, And similarly, the relationship between your body and your mind and how they both kind of interlink. So I think this area is quite suited to that, that topic. What I did then was I worked in both inpatient and uh, inpatient clinical settings and um, subclinical settings as well. So at the moment, I'm actually working in corporate mental health. So I'm an on-site, essentially an on-site psychology wellness coach. And what we do is we coach kind of the subclinical level, which would be people who don't necessarily meet the criteria for um, a mental health disorder, but people who still struggle with some aspect of their mental health without maybe getting a diagnosis so that's where i'm at at the moment and um, i've dealt with all sorts from you know low level eating stuff to um self-harm suicidal behavior and, and all, all of that kind of thing so uh, i've a decent experience I, I think for for somebody who's quite young and then next year hopefully get into the doctor side of things and um yeah become a doctor so that's that's oh, wow. the long-term that's the long term plan.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I saw it pop up on my. Um, I hope to God they didn't listen because I probably know I'm about them. Um, so, uh, somebody popped up on my, my just my Facebook profile, like a, a friend from many many years ago, and they're like, "Oh, by the way, I'm now a wellness coach." Um, if you need any advice, hit me up. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not a bit like, you know, it's not like saying, oh, you know, I've I've had a go at plumbing. I'll uh, come around and do your pipes cheaply. So, so it's not quite like that. And uh, probably a lot of the people saying they're a wellness coach or what have you. Oh, we haven't got a clue what it means and probably do something completely different.
2: Oh it's, it's 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 difficult right? It's my my manager in my job at the moment describes it as the wild wild west because <laughs> so many people especially in this field and in Ireland specifically where I work psychologist isn't a protected term. So mm. somebody with no degree who's never been to school can call themselves a psychologist which is which is crazy but they're in the process of changing that. I know it's it's not the case in the UK and yeah. it's certainly not the case in the US but um, even the likes of psychotherapists and counsellors, there are so many who can call themselves certain things and, and kind of twist titles. For example, wellness coach, who have no kind of backing or no education or no experience in that area. And that's, that's pretty dangerous.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I bet it obviously pisses people off who... Um are oh, fully qualified and got years of experience and everything in, in that it's a bit like when people say oh yeah yeah I'm now a nutritionist because I did one bodybuilding show it's like okay yeah, yeah, you want to yeah. put that against my, my six seven years experience Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's,
2: it's, it's the same with psychology people do a weekend mindfulness co- mindfulness uh, training whatever two day weekend thing and they're just a mindfulness coach and they can treat every mental health issue so you know it's 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 the same in in mental health it's it's quite frustrating for people who are actually in the field and want to kind of protect their their career and their profession
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, you see a lot of it. You do see a lot of it. They go on like a one day course and PTs are bet as well. Like just to try and widen their kind of horizons. They just end up doing absolutely anything and everything to try and bring in an extra couple of quid a day or whatever. And uh, yeah, they, they, you look at the like Instagram bios and it's, um, sports massage, uh, Qualified. I'm a PT. I'm a nutritionist. I'm a wellness coach. I'm yoga yeah, qualified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> the the favourite is obviously
0: uh, you when you're a life coach because yeah,
2: obviously everyone yes, needs a yes. life coach. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Because that covers everything. I've
1: got a friend who earns a fair bit of money and he's got a life coach Um, so you know it must be
2: there see see the thing is I I don't have an issue with any of the titles but I do have an issue when people don't stay in their lane for example a wellness coach who takes on somebody who clearly presents with kind of distressing let's say relation to binge eating some distressing things related to binge eating and they try and kind of do it themselves even though they're out of their depth that's that's where the danger comes in it's not really you know the if if legally you're allowed to call yourself these titles then look that's you know that's another whole issue but it's stepping out of your out of your qualifications and your remit to then go and try and treat something that's out of your out of your scope that is that's the dangerous part i guess
1: i guess absolutely yeah 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 we see it so much in nutrition where people they um they'll try and sort of like diagnose people. That's the biggest one. So you see so many of these cowboys who are like, oh yeah, 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 you definitely got like this and that. And because they've given them kind of a, an umbrella term for something that may or may not be the, you know, the, the umbrella term that ladies kind of are under. Um, they, sometimes you see people acting up to it and, and, um, and also I think even quite harmful if you're just kind of willy nilly going, oh yeah, 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 you've got this or you've got that. It's like, mm. Absolutely. Well,
2: you, look, you've seen pretty high profile cases of, you know, people dying in the U S because of doctors saying, Oh, try this. Um, I don't know, alkalizing diet. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just, let's just
0: IV into your blood and that cures every cancer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not right. So yeah, yeah, protecting the, protecting the profession is is paramount. I think. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So,
0: so, so getting on to obviously what we wanted to speak about today. Um, obviously we want to speak about, as you kind of said already a couple of times, binge eating disorders or emotional eating, um, do you want to kind of just define for people that maybe don't know what a binge eating disorder is
2: yeah so so binge eating disorder as the name says it's a mental health disorder um it's categorised. For example, a binge would be categorised as eating a lot faster than normal, eating a lot more than than normal. Um, some of the key characteristics of that, though, are having emotional distress in relation to uh, in relation to bin in relation to your binging or your eating behaviour. So some of those things could be like you might feel shame, you might have a low mood, or feel kind of symptoms of depression and um, self hatred. So there's a, quite a serious um, emotional distress or an emotional reaction in relation to a binge. Session. You're also eating past the point of feeling full. Um, One of the key points that differentiates uh, binge eating from some of the other uh, eating disorders are that there's an absence of compensatory behaviors. And what that is, is things like starving yourself, not eating at all, and and purging, so you know, making yourself sick, for example. Um, There's an absence of that with binge eating disorder. And then it obviously has to go on for a considerable period of time and it's diagnosed essentially by mental health professionals in a multidisciplinary team. Um, What I will say before we go any further on any of this, any of these topics is that eating disorders are absolutely not a self-help type of disorder. Um, It's one of two types of mental health disorders that the symptoms or the behaviors related to it can actually lead to, to death. So of the, of the mental health disorders, it's it's one of the most if not the most serious um type of disorder um so if you are struggling with any of these or any of those symptoms that i mentioned and you do or you are concerned about your eating behaviors absolutely go and see a mental health professional straight away or consult your gp or whatever gateway you need to get into a mental health service because I've, I've had people message my page, um, talk to me recently about struggling with eating issues for 10, 15 years. So it can go on a long time if it's not treated effectively. And the best chance you have of treating it is with a mental health professional. Um, going on from that, then, there's certainly a lot of people who would fall into the subclinical category. And that subclinical category is people who don't quite meet the criteria for binge eating disorder, but still have trouble with, with binging potentially on a regular basis, maybe not so frequently, um, who have some level of kind of emotional distress in relation to binging, but not at the same level or not of the same intensity as somebody who has that disorder. And I think for those people, um, there are kind of some some aspects you can tackle yourself. However, I wouldn't go tackling anything myself and self-diagnose myself without first seeking help from a mental health professional or some sort of advice. So... Um, that's kind of the, I guess, the basics of, of the of the symptomology of binge eating disorder. Um, and obviously, as I said, I'd say there's a lot of people who identify with kind of the subclinical category who don't have a mental health disorder per se, but definitely want to improve their relationship in terms of their binge eating or whatever it might be. So
1: it's certainly not somebody who's just eating a whole pack of biscuits to themselves and going, oh, check me out sort of thing. Um, but could that be... Uh, a slight gateway to it though um, to somebody who kind of on the regular does things like you know piling away three packs of biscuits and kind of not even realizing they've done it is yeah, that, absolutely. Is that anybody, yeah
2: absolutely like like i think the frequency off the top of my head i'm going to say once a week for three months i think that's the minimum criteria so if you're somebody who binges you know once a week three weeks and then takes a week off that doesn't mean you're in the clear you know you're still struggling with your eating behaviors it just mightn't be enough to meet a clinical diagnosis but again a mental health professional will will make those calls of whether you're at a diagnostic point or not and but then you know like like you said if somebody does binge maybe even once a month or twice a month those people still might have that you know kind of mental strain or distress that's related to that binge eating session and therefore want to improve their relationship with food so
1: OK. Is there a particular, um, without kind of uh, sort of pigeonhole anybody, but is there a, like a particular kind of demographic or is it like more common in male or females or you know, particular kind of um, uh, employment statuses or kind of types of jobs that people tend to be- belong well, to? Well,
2: we know in general that mental health disorders um, are higher in the lower socioeconomic status um, group. Um, but with binge eating disorder specifically, I think it's three, 3.5% lifetime prevalence in females, and that's at the, at the clinical diagnosis criteria, and then 2% in males. So, um, you know, it, it, that to me is quite prominent, but then I would estimate, I think the numbers were about 10% of people who are in that subclinical category. So, you know, that's, it's pretty prominent. Um, There's a number of of kind of risk factors that are associated with it. Um, Like most mental health disorders, there's there's not one specific cause. So some of the risk factors that are associated with it might be things like um, depression, um, self-esteem issues, like you mentioned earlier, um, body image issues, um, issues with relationship with food, relationship with weight, uh, relationship with dieting or, or someone who's kind of a chronic dieter, and then um, things like comorbid um, psychiatric disorders. So when someone's struggling with something else, it may end up uh, kind of, kind of tying over to to binge eating.
1: Okay. Um, and is is it typically people who are more overweight, or do you get a lot of slimmer, healthier people who also? Yeah,
2: it's it's, it's a it's a bit of a misconception that you have to be overweight to have um, binge eating disorder. It isn't the case all the time, um, but obviously binging, if you're doing it regularly, can cause weight gain. But that doesn't mean to say that, you know, I think it creates a lot of stigma, the idea that, oh, I, I have binge eating disorder, and then people kind of belittle that struggle if that person doesn't look overweight. So assuming that that someone's overweight because they're a binge eater is, is kind of um, a common misconception, uh, misconception that we see with binge eating disorder.
1: Yeah, you can just see it now, can't you? Like a big group of lads. One of the guys says, Oh, you know, I I think I'm struggling with binge eating um and he's, you know, as skinny as a rake or whatever, and people are like, Oh, you can't be, you know, you're so thin or whatever. Um, you could just see it and then people just laughing it off, whereas, you know, that could be their little cry out for help.
2: A hundred percent, yeah, because 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 if if you know that you're if you're skinny, for example, or or you're underweight even and you're thinking about coming forward and actually telling somebody you, you probably have an inkling that that's going to be their reaction because mm-hmm. binge eating is, like I said, people associated with being overweight. So that kind of stigma still exists and it's still a difficult place for people to go. E- even if you are overweight, you know it's, it's still difficult to actually come out and say that. So it's important to realize that it can kind of affect people who are overweight, underweight, regular weight, whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, go on there, Brad. Go uh, uh, on, uh, I was just going to uh, say, I mean, you know?
0: In terms of, I mean, obviously some of the symptoms being about eating very fast and um, eating until you're uncomfortable before, eating when you're not hungry, I'd imagine a lot of those symptoms are very common in a lot of people. And I guess, is the differential in terms of someone that might be diagnosed with, with a binge eating disorder be how regular they do it? Because I'm just thinking, obviously, a lot of the people we work with probably have a lot of these episodes reasonably regularly. Um, yeah, But you, yeah. Wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily associate them with having a eating disorder as such.
2: Yeah, so, so frequency is obviously one thing. Then the actual um, impact it has on your life. So the level of emotional distress. Um, sometimes people with binge eating disorder, um, actually quite often, it's a secretive thing. So they feel the need to hide their behaviors all the time. And that creates its own kind of emotional turmoil that's that's related to that too. So people can, can binge and have, no, you know, people can eat more than normal and faster than normal. E past the point of being full without necessarily having a big emotional reaction um, and obviously you can see some of the symptoms being quite similar but for people who have binge eating disorder it's quite a substantial emotional distress or, or reaction for example it might they might feel so down that they kind of withdraw from a family occasion or prevents them doing something that they that they wanted to do or you know it has an impact on their on their day-to-day lives essentially
1: would those thoughts and feelings you know saying feeling down and keeping it secretive and stuff would that be sort of pre binge or post binge or is it kind of just all the time
2: generally it's directly related to their their binge so they would binge and then feel awful essentially it kind of feeds into that um that diet binge cycle which is mm people binging feeling awful about themselves feeling so bad that they feel oh i'm going to make a change that change generally leads to restriction or um some sort of diet or you know trying to up their exercise they might succeed at that for a certain amount of time but you know you get to the point where you go oh actually i'm doing quite well i'm gonna have you know i deserve a bar of chocolate and that might trigger then a binge in itself so that kind of aspect feeds into the the diet binge cycle, if you will.
1: Okay, um, uh, just to kind of leapfrog the uh, the, the questions a little bit, um, just because I think it flows quite nicely. Um, so, if you kind of feel as though we're talking about you and you sat there, and, and people are going, you know what, that does sound like me. Um, you know, I many of those symptoms it happens once twice three times a week or whatever and it's been going on for years and then you know it's a bit of a light bulb moment for somebody what what are the first steps that they should take to to seek help who should they talk to
2: um generally with eating disorders they're tackled by like a multidisciplinary team so a mental health professional would be an ideal person to go to in terms of open up to i think they understand quite well um, especially if you can find somebody who specializes in in eating behavior Uh, but a mental health professional will will understand quite well what's going on the treatment um would be a multidisciplinary team so often they include the gp they include clinical dietitians or clinical nutritionists and it takes more than just one person Um, but in terms of who you need to go to to understand what you're going through i think a mental health professional is ideal Um, often especially in ireland gps can be like the gateway to getting to getting uh, you know other kind of resources um but i think in in the uk maybe it's 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 improved but i've heard some negative stories about gps some not so negative Mm -hmm. some gps mightn't have the experience or grasp of something as niche as binge eating disorder so i would always recommend going to a mental health professional but sometimes it's necessary to go to a gp in terms of accessing other services
1: uh, yeah, I was going to say, if you said to me, go and speak to your local mental health uh, person, I would not have the first clue of where to look for one.
2: Yeah, um, that's, and so that's, that's actually really common. It's a question I get a lot in differentiating what the differences are between different mental health professionals. Mm.
1: Um, so I would, wh- where would we go?
2: Um, so in Ireland anyway, and I know in, in the UK, there's chartered psychologists, I think, those, uh, along with psychiatrists, so a chartered psychologist is somebody who's done a doctorate in either clinical psychology or counselling psychology, and they will generally be registered with the BPS in the UK. Um, in Ireland, it's the PSI, which is the Psychological Society of Ireland. If you can get somebody who's highly qualified in terms of being a chartered psychologist or even a psychiatrist, if you can get, your, uh, if you can get some time where one of those people are get an appointment with one of those people, they will be able to direct you in the best kind of course of action. Um, Outside of that, there's psychotherapists. Um, Again, they have regulating bodies. If you could talk to one of them, they generally wouldn't treat by themselves um, a psychotherapist, but they might refer you to a service that has, like I said earlier, a multidisciplinary team. And then GPs, of course, should have a good knowledge of access to um, or what services you can access in your kind of local area. So, GP would would generally be a good gateway and they should be able to refer you on to whoever you need. Mental health professionals try and go as high as you can in terms of chartered psychologists or psychiatrists. If you can't get to that level, another good mental health professional would be accredited psychotherapists.
1: And are there any kind of like resources or anything like that you'd kind of recommend people would go to to maybe uh, if they're, they're thinking, well, this could be me, it might not be me. Are there any like really good outstanding resources at all you'd you'd recommend people go to? I was just
0: gonna I was just gonna ask actually, or on that lines, in that just going back to my kind of point or question a moment ago around. So pe- people that potentially wouldn't be necessarily diagnosed as having a, a binge eating disorder, but they might feel like some of these symptoms feel um, they can relate to. So if if they feel like they wanted some form of self-help or like, as you said, some resources that might help them, is there any, or would, would you say that, no, if you feel that you relate to any of these symptoms at all, then you should probably seek professional help?
2: Um, I do always say professional help is number one, but I understand that people also don't necessarily like that's not always going to be their first step for example um if you get a pain in your tooth do you go to the dentist that evening most people go oh you know i'll see how that is i'm gonna yeah i'll 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 leave that settle for a few days and see what happens it's kind of similar with this people go on and on they kind of procrastinate a little bit before they get help so i understand that that people do try and self-help I can't recommend enough going to a mental health professional. That's always first port of call. In terms of self-help resources, I'm not sure about the UK, but um, in Ireland, we have a fantastic website um, and it's called bodywise.ie. That has fantastic resources in terms of understanding what's going on for yourself and um, just kind of understanding a little bit about eating disorders in general, including binge eating disorder. Um, Outside of that, the self-help stuff, it's it's super low level and often is really difficult to to implement for a person if they're if they've been struggling for a long time but it's essentially all about improving your relationship with food and also improving relationship with with yourself. Um, I think one of the key things one of the important things like I said earlier, the kind of preoccupation with dieting and numbers and weight and body that is one of kind of the primary predictors of eating disorders in general so, if we can, if you're struggling with with some aspect of binge eating, moving away from that restriction and the stringent aspect of, for example, dieting, um, often a lot of people have these kind of food rules and moving away from them can be, can be really helpful and kind of freeing for those people. For example, you know, oh, I'm not eating after six o'clock or I have to fast for 16 hours or I'm only allowed 1,200 calories restriction can be a massive massive trigger and a massive predictor for binging and um getting rid of kind of these black and white views and these concrete views um will certainly help with um you know it'll definitely be a start in terms of um beginning to to repair your relationship with food but often like i said earlier some of these things are related to trauma and depression. If you have an underlying cause that is internal rather than your relationship with food, um, you know, repairing your relationship with food isn't going to help. And that's where a mental health professional comes in to kind of identify where your roots are and where your, your triggers are.
0: Yeah. It's, a, I think um, I appreciate the point around having a kind of more underlying internal um, trigger, uh, but certainly the The point around restriction and and obviously it's often that lead into either poor outcomes or poorer food relationships i've found even from kind of practicing nutrition or as a nutrition practitioner um allowing people kind of permission to eat kind of not not quite the intuitive eating approach but kind of giving people permission to eat removing a lot of the restrictive behaviors and just kind of allowing people to be a bit more open about stuff often even leads to better outcomes anyway because of kind course, of it's, yeah. it's, it's the age age of story of like forbidden fruit you restrict something or you forbid something that's all people want if you kind of say well actually you know if you want something you can have it more often not or not maybe not more often not but a lot of the time people won't actually go and you know have the foods that they thought they were restricting in the first place because they know you can have them they just choose not to have them in the end
2: yeah yeah because because realistically like i'm not a nutrition specialist or a practitioner by any means but from a psychology point of view it's important to look at these things like there are no unhealthy foods and it's, it's the overall diet pattern that matters more than one single food or one single food group. And I think that that flexible approach is super, super important in, in repairing your relationship with food. When I was doing QA and a sessions on my Instagram around binge eating disorder, I got a couple of questions saying, how do I lose weight while, um, you know, you know, binge eating? Why do, how, how do I, how do I do both? And it's it's, it's it's not possible. I would always say focus on your relationship with food first, the relationship with yourself, before you go and start counting calories or trying to lose weight or trying to be in a deficit or upping your exercise. Because these things can be, they're the kind of things that are dangerous when you're struggling with an eating disorder, these are the kind of things you can go overboard with in terms of your exercise. You can exercise for two or three hours and do some real damage. You can create some severe restrictions that might need, lead to something like malnutrition. Uh, these kind of things are un- unhealthy in general. So, if you're looking to improve your health, improving your relationship with food and improving your relationship with yourself is absolutely paramount. I think.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I can say about myself. <laughs> um. You could ask on Ed, or no, I was no. just laughing at you. All right, I <laughs> <laughs> no, say so, there's a reason why I couldn't say about myself because I'm not an expert. But so in terms of kind of emotional eating, then does that differ from binge eating, or is is it kind of intertwined in anyway, or
2: it's it's very much intertwined. Um, The difference between binge, because binge eating disorder is uh, a disorder in the DSM, which is the diagnostic manual of mental health disorders. It has a very um, operationalized definition, like it's, it's very straightforward in what the criteria is, whereas emotional eating is not a mental health disorder per se. So it doesn't have the same. Um, it doesn't have the same definition, but kind of the general consensus is for emotional eating, you're, you're turning to food for comfort or stress or because you're stressed or whatever, whatever that emotional trigger might be. Whereas, like I said, with binge eating, it can be an internal cause. It can be comorbid psychiatric disorders. There's different risk factors for binge eating disorder. Also, they're not mutually exclusive. So you can you can binge eat without being an emotional eater and you can emotionally eat without being a binge eater. So you can turn to food for, like I said, comfort for stress or comfort for emotion. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to binge. Um, uh, The risk factors are different, of course. Self-esteem, internal um, trauma, comorbid disorders, they're all risk factors for binge eating disorder. Whereas they're not really, they can be risk factors, but they're not kind of the primary risk factors for emotional eating. And um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it, is it? The for the emotional side of it, it's it, it's not necessarily emotion is the trigger and sometimes can have that emotional turmoil afterwards, but it's not to the extent of, of binge eating disorder. So you can see why people confuse them. They're quite similar. And often people who binge eat will will be emotion leading. So that's, I guess, where the confusion comes in, because if you're someone who is triggered by emotion or stress and then you end up binging, how do, you differentiate, how do you differentiate between the two? So they are quite interlinked, but there are some, I guess, slight differences between the two.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I, I suppose emotionally is another thing that we probably see quite common uh, within clients. Um, so I guess it's, it's interesting to kind of see whether it's something that people should be seeking more professional help. Because I suppose as pra- practitioners in nutrition, we are very cautious in trying to just kind of stay within our lanes and, and not kind of if, if we suspect people kind of have what you would consider a you know a diagnosable um, disorder in, in, in mental health or eating disorders etc etc because it can be very difficult to kind of differentiate really where cause we might suspect people have got I mean I don't know if this is maybe right maybe you can tell me this but whether even a, a touching on more of a disordered eating pattern than act, an actual eating disorder and I don't know if that even matters but we're just quite cautious in terms of who we would kind of work with, or who we think we can help or treat, um, if we feel there's there's a potential risk that they they should seek professional help rather than obviously help from any nutritionist or or, yeah, or a yeah. PT.
2: So I, th- I think uh, with the key one of the key kind of uh, red flags for. The mental health side of things anyway is the impact that it has on your on your day-to-day functioning and the impact it has on your day-to-day life so i think it's natural that people turn to food for comfort which is you know fairly standard if that if that is um if that's having a massive impact on your life and you do have that emotional distress afterwards and it's you know something that impacts your mental health or impacts your physical health then maybe that's something worth looking at but if someone just you know they say they eat when they get down but oh Otherwise they're they're quite healthy and they have no adverse effects. That really isn't that's not a red flag to say that it's significantly impacting their life or their relationships or, you know, their physical or mental health. So if you're a coach and you're listening in, it's kind of the the aspect of impact on day to day life, functioning, relationships, mental and physical health are the red flags that you that you look for, I guess, for when you when someone else needs needs further help potentially.
0: Yeah, I, I suppose for, from from well, it feels like quite often we'd be almost referring most clients away at some point um, to to seek professional help if if because yeah. most people and it, I suppose it comes down to this 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 point or this definition no this point around obviously whether it's having a detrimental effect on their their overall well being and um, not just like adherence to a diet. Because obviously yeah. that's that's the problem. A lot of people that we deal with, they kind of you know they're not adherent for a period of time because they've had episodes of of, of emotional eating or potentially binge eating. But um, I suppose it's, it's, that's the, the the difference of we. I'm I'm trying to kind of work out in my head where the line is as a as a nutritionist, where we say, well, actually, look, they should be seeking professional help rather than kind of help from a nutritionist um because it, it can be it can just be something like well they've just not adhered but there isn't necessarily a detrimental effect on their overall well-being or their their mental health or or anything like yeah. that so
2: but even at that um if if somebody wants to improve their relationship with food and doesn't have those detrimental effects a, a professional can like a, a psychology professional could still i guess have some sort of positive effect on on, on people like that too so I don't think you even need to be in the category of having a diagnose a diagnosable mental health disorder in order for you to go and get professional help if you if you want it. For example, um, I'm sure if you told lots of your clients that they should get some professional help from a psychologist, they would likely not maybe go to um, or take you up in that advice. So um, I, I think the like I said, the red flags are, are the impact, and and then they obviously need to need to want to kind of go and and speak to somebody too
0: yeah so i just want to go back as well actually just to revisit so around the risk factors um you mentioned obviously uh well eating disorders really but a lot of them have the potential to lead to to death kind of what are some some of the main risk factors for for binge eating then
2: Uh, in terms of like the predictors yeah um that's your kind of are, are you talking about triggers for a binge eating episode or are you talking about like the
0: oh sorry i suppose more mean like um negative health outcomes
2: oh um essentially the i can't speak too much to the physical side of things but with binge eating if you're binging on those kind of highly palatable foods the ones that are you know quick fix fast foods you're obviously going to have your um physical um, I guess drawbacks from that, but the mental health. If you if you speak with anyone who suffers from a a um, excuse me, my brain's gone blank. If you if you if you talk to anybody who has any aspect of an eating disorder, you'll know that the emotional turmoil is is really really significant. Um, when it relates to body image, when it, really, it relates to to weight, it can literally take over people's lives. So not only can uh, it's probably that an- i think anorexia is is the highest morbidity of the um of the eating disorders but um you know the the aspect of malnutrition is, is a pretty severe one and and it can literally torture people's mental health that's probably an excess of where i probably shouldn't say that but it 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 can feel like like torture it can feel like it's taking over their lives and um obviously this is at the extreme end of things but uh, they will have a, a huge amount of of emotional distress in relation to that and depression is quite a significant um comorbid psychiatric disorder that's associated with bingeing so in terms of the the outcomes and the the negative impact on mental health they're they're quite significant when it gets to to a to a bad point
0: yeah i suppose even to the point where even if it's purely just a case of they're, they're struggling to adhere to a diet plan, as such, and it's causing them anxiety or depression or, or level of depression or stress or anything because they're not achieving even the physique goals that they want. Which quite often, what we see, um, yeah. that can obviously be quite have, have quite negative uh, outcomes, I suppose, on people's uh, yeah, definitely. And it
2: might it might even trigger a binge in itself. You know, it, it them them feeling bad about not achieving their goals might lead them to feel like they're a failure or might feel like they they should give up on what they're doing. And again, it's kind of that idea of black and white, the black and white thought process, because when we talk about success and failure, success to somebody might be losing three pounds a week or two kilos a week. And when they only lose two and a half pounds or two pounds, they feel like a failure and they feel like they want to give up. So again, back to removing the, the kind of black and white thinking and the concrete thinking around eating and exercise, it can be a huge kind of relief to people to know that, well, I lost two pounds this week. I didn't lose three, which is my target, but that's still a step in the right direction to, to where they want to go.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, well, I, I think I've covered most of the questions that I want to go over. Ed, have you got anything else you want to ask?
1: Um, slightly, well, it's not really a lighthearted question, but I, I was just intrigued to what's the, uh, worst binge episode you've ever seen. Like as in, Quantity of food types of food if that makes sense.
2: I actually I actually don't work with eating disorders um, right, And okay. so so I've, I've worked in a, a place Where that was inpatient uh, it was an inpatient setting for teenage girls and there I saw elements of, of different eating disorders But not binge eating disorder specifically, so I've not worked in inpatient clinical settings for people with binge eating where you would see that but you know i've people have told me stories about you know what what they have eaten and obviously it's different for everybody for somebody who's tiny a binge for one person could be three bars of chocolate and they'd be stuffed whereas for you know someone like me who's like a rugby player six foot three hundred kilos plus a binge might be you know something quite extreme like you see on like man versus food or whatever um but obviously that differs these these levels of the levels of severity um, depend, uh, you know, they, they differ um, person to person.
0: Yeah, I think that that kind of makes me feel like some of the, the flexible dieting movement, the IFYM type of movements within the, you know, well, within the fitness industry really, a lot of the times people are using those types of concepts to almost justify these types of behaviours. <clears throat> I know I've been there. I've kind of been one of these people that have fasted the majority of the day and then, you know, kind of laid into... A, a ginormous burger and fries type of thing yeah. uh, at certain times, where which might be like three thousand calories in a meal. Which, when you kind of break it down, factory or that, you think, well, actually, you could argue that that would. I mean, it doesn't feel to me, and maybe it's because I I didn't necessarily or or wouldn't even now maybe think that I had a negative uh,
2: mental out uh, mindset on it. I suppose. Yeah, but but, but but if if you even take that example. um if you don't feel like that's impacted you in any way, if you're comfortable with that, that's fine because I'm not trying to say that binging necessarily always has this effect on people, but for different people, it it might have different effects. And somebody, somebody asked me before about the 10,000 calorie challenge and if that's promoting binge eating behavior or whatever. I think it was really important to say that we can't compare ourselves to other people because for those fitness bloggers or whatever, them doing the 10,000 calorie challenge for them they might have any emotional turmoil they might but they might not and it's important to realize that just because you binge doesn't mean you're going to have the emotional reaction some people can restrict calories and not have any impact some people restrict calories and it relates to binge eating for them it's it's so so subjective when it comes to this topic um, and it it differs so significantly depending on the person so that's again why it's important to go and see a professional because um it it can differ so much for, for different people. I'm the same in that I would keep a lot of my food till the end of the day and then kind of go wild. And people see me and they go, well, that's, that's a lot of food, but I, within my training, I can, I can take it and it might look like a binge to some people, or it might feel like a binge. Um, but within the amount of training and within your overall lifestyle, it's not bad, but it's when these, these eating behaviors have the problematic outcomes that that, is maybe where you should start looking at your relationship with food and your relationship with with your own yeah. self. Yeah,
0: I, I I suppose I brought it up because I wondered whether how much there's the potential remit for like denial in that you kind of dress it up because again it's kind of a little bit like that with the IFYM crowd and stuff and to say like yeah you know as long, all that, all that matters is energy balance when in reality it's not really true and you know, kind of the same thing in this uh, this kind of principle and that. You could say, oh, that matters an energy balance. Well, actually, your relationship and the reasons why you're eating stuff it is important. And maybe there's another denial there. I don't know. know. It's just kind of amusing, really, more than anything. But it's interesting you mentioned about the 10,000 calorie challenge thing because we we had um, a couple of other of our, our uh, friends who were in the fitness industry um, on an episode quite a good while ago now. And we did talk about that, actually, because I think they'd received some criticism because they've basically got uh, a reasonably popular YouTube channel that um they did do well they've done multiple kind of like really high calorie challenge things i think they okay. got they got some criticism from some other fitness professionals saying you they were basically promoting eating disorders within things and th- obviously they th- i think they they kind of use a very similar of view as you just did in that they don't have any emotional attachment to this food um albeit i mean i i personally don't feel like a youtube video or something its going to necessarily be the trigger for someone and if they've already got issues they've already got issues i don't think watching a youtube video is going to be the thing that that kind of yeah fr- triggers yeah someone. i
2: i think i think what some people's argument is is that uh, it's it's sh- not that it's promoting binge eating but it's showing that it's possible and then people kind of take that on board and they say well look he can do it why can't i do it or, or mm. she can do it why can't i do it and then you know it, it probably makes them feel worse because they're seeing other people do it and they're wondering well why can't i do it why do i get all these emotional reactions why can't i stop myself and um, why can't i control myself outside of the binges like like a fitness blogger can or whatever and mm. i think part of that is down to you know we always talk about comparison and how comparing yourself to these people on social media and um, can be quite detrimental and that you know that quote the or that comparison is the thief, thief of joy. joy yeah yeah it, it really it really applies here because you're not a fitness blogger and the person at home watching these calorie challenges, you have different obstacles to the guy who's doing the video or the girl who's doing the video. And it's important to realize that, that we all have different struggles and we all have different issues. And just because one person can or can't do this thing means literally nothing because we're all individuals really.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, Joe, I'm conscious of time and obviously I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So um, is there anything else you kind of want to cover on it?
2: Um, think the only things I wanted to make sure that I got across was that the first thing is to know when to get support if you're struggling with any type of disordered eating to to realize the effect it's having on you and to go to the right sources which is a qualified mental health professional outside of that the things that you can do yourself if you want to um, improve your relationship with food is start off by just getting rid of the rules like you said earlier Giving yourself permission to eat whatever you want and being flexible around that. Getting rid of the black and white thinking. Um, and lastly, is to just develop self compassion. Now, self compassion isn't something that's just like, oh yeah, I'll be more self compassionate. It takes time. But when you're binging and you're trying to recover, don't beat yourself up over over binging because it does take time. It's it's a difficult thing. Um, for example, you know, it's it's okay not to do your gym session or it's okay to maybe have that chocolate bar. It's not. It's not the worst thing of all time. Um so don't be hard on yourself. Yeah. Uh, it's hard enough being an adult. So uh, yeah just yeah. Uh, just you know develop that self compassion and, and change maybe your mindset around some of the behaviors relation to in relation to food. Yeah,
0: that's some amazing advice. And I know I appreciate for some people listening might think that's easier said than done, but like you say, it just takes time and working at it,
2: doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and with the right guidance. 100%. Um
0: do you do you want to um shout out your um socials your Instagram handles that type of stuff and all So you're... I'm
2: I'm mainly based on Instagram my name's Joe O'Brien um so. my Instagram handle is uh, headfirst with a zero at the end because headfirst wasn't available unfortunately <laughs> um if you, well, wanna, if you,
1: you want to go type s- in headfirst yours is the first one that comes up don't worry
2: oh okay good that's good tell <laughs> tell people is that and, and how they find me um yeah <laughs> uh, if you want to find me on spotify um it's the Head First podcast again yep. it's joe o'brien and i've submitted my podcast to apple so i'm waiting to hear back from them but it should be the same title once they get back to me so if you want to check me out i'm more than happy to answer um direct messages um i get them all the time and people often apologize when they message me but that is why i'm there i want to be someone who can direct people in the right direction if they're struggling or maybe you know give them some some resources to to help themselves so uh, more than happy to answer any questions
0: no, that's brilliant thank you joe i really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us mate and i've uh, i've massively enjoyed it so um yeah cool well uh let's say thanks again and obviously if, uh, if you ever want to come on again, I'm sure we're more than welcome to have you on. So I appreciate you've got your own one to, to kind of keep yourself busy, but um, I'm sure you can add some more value to some, some other kind of topics.
2: Well, thank you so much, and, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure.
1: Cool. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
2: Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week.